Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. I've got a very special discussion planned for you today that's very tied in. It's acutely tied into just about everything going on, it seems. And it's primarily around the concept of free speech, Twitter, Elon Musk, overlap with Donald Trump and the conversation about what's really going on there. Is there still censorship happening? Are people being shadow banned or did he just save free speech as some people are putting out into the world? Well, to join me today, I have Sam Husseini here to discuss what's happening on his account, what he's been seeing and just this large conversation around this dynamic and and really just questioning every possible angle of it to see what we get out of the conversation. So thank you for joining me today, Sam. How are you? Great to be with you. Thanks for inviting me, Ryan. Absolutely. So you are an independent journalist and activist, and you've been covering a lot around a lot of political topics for a long time. So first, what I mean, have you been covering censorship in general for a long time? Or is this something new that you feel you've kind of become aware of? Well, I, I, for a long time, I worked with the Media Watch Group Fair. That's mm-hmm. kind of where I got my start. Um, and, you know, um, I was once in a cab with Jeff Cohen, the founder of FAIR, and he had to explain to cab driver what FAIR was about. And he said, it's an anti-censorship group. Um, and, you know, um, so that's certainly been my orientation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hope that it's the orientation of a lot of other people who say that it is their orientation at this point. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, the influence of big media um, and, uh, you know, I was somewhat attuned um, to the rising power of big tech. My, my uh, undergrad degree happened to be in, um, you know, applied math and um, especially in computer science at Carnegie Mellon. So I kind of sensed where the threat was coming from um there and uh you know kind of wish that i'd written more about it earlier but i i certainly followed it and you know um aware of the pernicious um threats that that uh big tech and its ties to the military and the government um can pose mm-hmm. well I, I mean have you seen just so from your your coverage of this for a long time now and how it seems that we're at least some people are are becoming a newly aware that this is something that has been going on for a long time Right. As opposed to just it's a new event. So first point, I guess, or discussion is like so thus far with the Twitter files breakdown and how that's been going so far. What are your thoughts on that generally and how it's been going and, and you know, pros, well, cons, and so on? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I, I, the, the way that it's being divided in this, you know, pro Musk faction and the anti Musk liberal um, progressive, uh, you know, faction I, I think is incredibly destructive. Um, it's effectively made hypocrites of most everybody. Uh, you know, people who justified uh, shadow banning and silencing well, when it suited them. And now it's on the other side. And most of what they're doing now is pointing to the hypocrisy of each other. Right. Um, and uh, to me, this, you know, is simply another manifestation of what you saw with Donald Trump. Uh, where, you know, he and CNN and the rest of the establishment could rant and rave at each other, pointing to each other's hypocrisies, but both be hypocritical uh, in the midst of it. Mm -hmm. And the the net effect of that, I think, is for the general public to be pressured into choosing sides uh, between, you know, do you want, you know, baloney hypocrisy, brand a or below any hypocrisy brand b mm-hmm. um and uh or you just check out a politics altogether which um, I, I think either one of those are would would suit what they're trying to achieve here and i think that's what i'm really seeing is this sort of th- they end up basically allowing people to maintain their positions because they're already going to dispute it or they're already going to agree and the people right. in the middle either check out or kind of just see that it doesn't seem fair and you know either way so it ends up just enshrining the problem is what i right. kind of think is the goal Exactly. And, um, you know, I mean, this was, you know, the, the, the problem that I felt with the duopoly, mm-hmm. at least over the last 20 years, you know, probably my entire adult life. Um, and we just sort of take it for granted that, you know, everybody votes for their lesser evil. And you, you put up with not everybody, but, you know, a high percentage of the electorate um, just does this. Um, and um, the, the more outrageous each side becomes it's a hate fueled system. So that just justifies the hatred on the other side, maintaining the system. I I, I liken it to, you know, the building of an arch 
So, you know, the, the, the more <laughs> it, it actually strengthens, ironically, the arch, the, the, you know, the way that they lean upon each other. They need right. each other's hypocrisy. Democratic Republican establishments, um, and it accelerated with Trump and the rest of the establishment, um, and now with Musk. And my my, my tagline on um, Trump, and I recently wrote wrote a piece with this title: uh, "Trump is the opposable thumb of the establishment." Mm-hmm. Um, that is, he seems to be opposed to it, he derides it, and so on. But in the end, he actually helps it um, grab more. Um, so you saw this with the dynamic with NATO, for example, right, right, where, where, where he would rail against NATO, um, you know, calling it obsolete and so on. But in the end, he got European countries to pony up more cash, uh, for NATO, for us military contractors and so on. So it ended up actually strengthening NATO. And in the end, Trump actually said that, um, so it ends up being a con, um, and I think that's similar to what we're seeing here with Musk. I, I agree. I, I, I think the problem that the, I, I suspect, and I don't know this, I suspect that Musk, uh, that they had a problem with these right wing um, platforms rising. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I don't follow them too closely, so I could be a little bit off on this point. Um, uh they they could go populist, authentically populist. So I think that they wanted to shift Twitter to the right, and Trump's purchase, uh, Musk's <laughs> purchase of it, it, in some respects, was was a branding exercise. Mm. Um, so now, you know, he's you know shifting Twitter to the right. Um, the only real anti-establishment voice that I've seen him reinstate um, was Daniel McAdams, mm-hmm. uh, who's, you know, uh, who I respect, but he's certainly associated with the right. Um, uh, and other than that, he's pretty much, you know, instated fairly establishment people uh, in Jordan Peterson and so on, um, who are, who already have, you know, huge platforms and reach and hype and so on. Mm-hmm. Um so I suspect that that's part of what's going on here. I mean, we we know, of course, as as I'm sure you've discussed. I know Whitney's uh, Whitney Webb's discussed that you know Musk ultimately is a military contractor, so so called defense contractor, so called intelligence contractor. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so ultimately, you know, you 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 have to, you know, view him in those terms, right? Um, um. You know, but but exactly what's going on here? I, I think that that's a large part of it. That that, that it is a, a branding exercise. Yeah, um, I, I would agree in in the sense that I mean, this I think throughout history we see this happening. I tend to refer to whatever analogy you like to use, the teeter totter uh, of the duopoly, and how we see these things ebb and flow over the over you know twenty thirty years. Where one at one point it was the crazy evangelical right, and now it's the crazy left. But the point is, they all I, I love the analogy of of the how that works, and it it builds in fact the same process. And I think we're watching, and I would I'd like to add to this on Musk as as well as Trump that. Whether or not they're aware this is happening is sort of irrelevant to the larger point. It doesn't matter, right? To go back to your point about Trump, I think at this point, my opinion, it's undeniable that there's only really two options on the table. Either he was aware and involved with what was happening or he was being used. I mean, that's my personal opinion. You could argue there's more options. But I would give that possibility that he maybe genuinely didn't know he was being applied that way. But then I'd still question why he hasn't been open about things since then. But that's another conversation. So in the point about Musk, I think it's a similar dynamic playing out. And I think there were there are elements of him being aware of how he might be used. Maybe he thinks he's smart enough to play it the right way. Either way, I think it's undeniable what's playing out right now. And we'll get into some examples next that this is being it being used, but maybe not by Elon himself. I do think so to divide people even more. And as you described, it essentially making sure people maintain the positions they already have, but even to a stronger degree while pointing out to those of us that can see through it, apparently that they're all seemingly hypocrites that everybody's okay to ignore the same thing happening. As long as it's happening to the bad guys over there, it's, it's infuriating. Right. And I think that the thing you, you quoted in here, which I think was the thing that really kind of made me think about this. And from your perspective, Trump may be a leader in this, in the concept of, of, uh, 
uh, what, what did you frame it as? Essentially pushing back. But now Elon Musk is playing a similar role. He's a virtual Donald Trump, promising free speech, but delivering more shadow banning and explicit controls. So I'd like to start there, obviously, and from your perspective on what you're seeing, because my audience is well aware of my perspective and my accounts and, you know, that I'm not brought back on yet. And I have some other examples today. But let's start with uh, do you, would you like just to start with your recent experience from the, the tweet that you shared? Uh, yeah, let, let me let me do that. But let, let me just do say say one other thing because we we, we sort of rang the electoral bell, and I just want to. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a side project right now, just a Twitter page of Vote Pact, um, and what that is, it, it advocates people pairing up, quote unquote, disenchanted Democrat, disenchanted Republican, instead of canceling out each other, both voting for the third parties of their choice. That mm-hmm. is to 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 get at. It's a, it's a radical solution that a anti-establishment candidate could conceivably use to victory because it's very difficult to come in at the margins as the Green Party or the Libertarian Party. Sort of, although you know the Libertarian Party might argue that they are coming from the radical center, mm-hmm. um, but generally speaking, it's very difficult um, to come in from either side. So what I'm proposing is an electoral strategy. If you believe that there's any place for electoral politics. Um, I think that that would be the only meaningful route forward. So I, I just wanted to close out the, the, that, that with that vote pact project. Yeah, I'll have to include the link there. I, I watched you talk about this with another interview, and it's it's an interesting concept. I, I think the only thing that my audience, myself, I, I probably, I, I'm going to assume they think this, but that I think and I've talked about right. with the audience is that it, it depends on whether or not one, and I'm sure you've thought of this, the, the votes are in fact being checked used to effectively put someone in position or that's more of an illusion or there there's mechanisms in which it's manipulated so that's one fair point but then the other one would be whether or not those third parties are then themselves being co-opted which is the part which i see now happening where i'm genuinely wondering whether trump or somebody else will eventually run third party and maybe that would be a success maybe that is them breaking away or maybe it's just more control but nonetheless i love the idea and to flesh it out more you're basically talking about people like myself and somebody else who see the problem but don't want to just vote left or right and so instead you both choose to vote or actually more specifically a trump supporter versus a biden supporter and you both decide to vote outside that right is that as i understand that correctly correct i mean i think that you you and me might be bad examples because we're sort of already outside of the system but i think most people um who vote are inclined to one or the other but don't really believe in the one that they're voting for. If right. they paired up with somebody on the other side, their own mirror image, they could both break out. It, it's a, you know, it's a love over hate <laughs> kind of I love um, n- n- narrative. Um, and I do think that it is possible that the system could employ this at some point for its own purposes. Right. Um, right. Part of my sense of urgency that it be done by an authentic anti-establishment figure before uh, it manifests itself as a uh, as yet another tool of the establishment. I mean, the establishment is brilliant at taking every decent concept and flipping it around right. uh, for its own purposes. So, yeah, I, I, I like it regardless. I mean, I, we always, as my audience knows, question everything. We always have to wonder whether or not it could be something being used against us. But I love it just because it's different. Right. And let's let's see how it fleshes out. Why not? Because my personal opinion is, is there's a thousand mechanisms that have been inserted. One of them could be we could be watching one of them play out right now through Twitter that essentially create the 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 illusion of a process. Right. And so either way, though, I think that's a positive step to see how that might swing things and mix things up. So I I love the idea. So make sure that with me afterward. I'll put that in the show notes. But uh, to go back to the other discussion, though, so you you're yes. you have been you've been shadow banned. And look, I, I mean, I've just p- p- confirmed it for myself. We'll show that in a minute. But what you are seeing from your perspective, what's been happening before Elon took over Twitter and then to now and your perspective of it? Well, I, I'd always suspected that I was somewhat shadow banned, that, that, that is that, that my tweets were not amplified in a meaningful way that were suppressed in some ways. I take in, they have these, you know, shadow bird tests. Uh, I don't know if you've seen those and I don't know if they're legit or not, but I would test myself on those occasionally. And they, they were always, you know, pos- you know, that they would come out positive or somewhat positive. The show, um, like the, whether you're shadow banned or whether certain kind of bannings. That, is exactly. That about? Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't know how real those are, so I, I couldn't judge. Um, recently, I wrote a piece 
um, that critiqued Musk's takeover of Twitter. And I put it on Musk's timeline several times. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thrust of that piece um, was to take on his notion that he believes in freedom of speech, but not freedom of reach. Right. Which and is an important and I don't think fair distinction. Y- yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that was precisely the argument that I made. And mm-hmm. I articulated it with the freedom to hear, um, which I didn't realize until last month when I wrote this piece um, that that uh, it, it's, it's actually a legal concept. I had heard it as a rhetorical device. Um, I was involved in the Pacifica battle uh, 20 years ago for, you know, uh, quote unquote, saving Pacifica radio, which has been obviously a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. Um um, but uh, I, I dug around and it's a legal concept. It, you know, uh, Brennan um, articulated it in a Supreme Court decision in 1965 when the post office was trying to prevent people from getting mail from communist, um, uh, alleged communist organizations from outside the United States. Interesting. Uh-huh. Um, and what the Supreme Court said is uh, my rudimentary understanding of it is um, the, the, the 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 sender might not have First Amendment rights because they're a foreign entity, but the recipient does. Um, and part of freedom of speech is the freedom to receive information. Um, right. um, and uh, I, I think it's a very elegant concept because and it, the founder of Pacifica Radio articulated it as it's even more important. That, that is the, the right of somebody to articulate a a novel idea is really important. And the only thing more important than that is the right of the public to hear it. How Uh, interesting. They they, they put it in very radical terms. Um, And, and, and they came out of, you know, they, they were um, pacifists against world war two and the government put them in camps. And from what I understand, treated them. Okay. But he didn't want that. He didn't want to, you know, scream, in the middle of a camp in a forest where nobody could hear him. Right. Um, so he started a radio station, invented the concept of listener sponsorship. Uh, KPFA was the first listener sponsored radio station. Um, and, um, you know, and, and tried to get the message um, out to a, a wider subject. So right. that, that was where I was, you know, coming from on, on, on that piece. Um, and um, so I was really, and in that piece, I actually articulated, I actually said, Musk can do something really radical now. He can mm-hmm. disclose the documents of Twitter government collusion. And this is on November 22nd. And he started announcing the so-called Twitter files uh, six days later. So I mm-hmm. actually advocate, unlike all of the liberal and progressive critics, I actually advocated for him to do that. Right. But I feel like the way that he's doing it and what I really attacked him for eventually uh, was when, what's her name, Bari Weiss, I don't, mm-hmm. is that how you say her name? Um, yeah. You know, she put out stuff um, after Taibi put out some stuff and Musk said, oh, this shows that it's, you know, that we were, uh, that old Twitter was attacking the right and not the left. And I, you know, severely disagreed with that and put that out. And I, I think that's when I was sort of flagged for a, a new level of, mm. you know, beyond shadow banning. Uh, you know, I mean, I, it, it's virtual unpersonhood. Like they haven't suspended my account, but they rendered it bizarrely unusable. And we, we can go through some of this. Specific. Yeah. In, 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 and even from my perspective, in a way that I've never seen until today, like I'm actually blown. And I only say it that way because of the consistency, which I'll show you next. But so back to before we get past this, I think this is a really important part that even from what you just described is, is new to me. Like the concept of how these two things from a legal definition seem to be you can't decouple them. Right. So because if you remove the freedom to hear that is part of freedom of speech, do you mind elaborating a little bit more on the case and whether what was the ruling there? So if you're the if you ruling, the ahead. ruling, and it was a, a, a unanimous ruling, eight to zero. I think one of the justices was ill or something at the time. Um, uh, as I understand it, and I'm trying to find a legal expert um, on, on it, but as I understand it, it it was it, and it, it dealt with the post office, and it's really interesting to look at post office cases. I've been doing a little bit of that um, because the post office 
was critically important to information dispersal you know back in 1965 and, yeah. and for all then, the young for all the young ones out there it was a different yeah. world yeah you really needed it um <laughs> you know um um so the the the, the case basically entailed um as i say I, I i don't know a great deal more than what i what i already said to be frank um that the, the recipient has rights. You have a right to hear information. It's not simply that somebody has the right to speak. Um, and uh, here, uh, why don't you scroll down and mm -hmm. for Brennan, we, we can, you know, his quote is actually quite apt. It, 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 it's a, it's a ridiculous marketplace. Uh, scroll. Uh, Bottom right here. Yeah. Um, yeah. The protection of the bill of rights go beyond Pacific uh, protections. Um, okay. I can read it if you'd like. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay. I'm sorry. It just reads, the protection of the Bill of Rights goes beyond the specific guarantees to protect from congressional abridgment those equally fundamental personal rights necessary to make the express guarantees fully meaningful. I think the right to receive publications is such a fundamental right. The dissemination of ideas can accomplish nothing if otherwise willing addresses are not free to receive and consider them. This is fascinating. Yeah, I addressees, I think. Yes. Uh -huh. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Addressees are not free to receive them and consider them. It would be a barren marketplace of ideas that had only sellers and no buyers. That's so interesting. Now, this is... Yeah. Will, Justice William Brennan. Now, is that is who he's, is this? Go ahead. He's, he's regarded as a stalwart liberal. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, there, there's a liberal oriented Brennan Center last time I checked in New York that does, you know, some, you know, work. Um, and uh, as you're highlighting, it, it, it's been highlighted over and over again. Amer so American Association of University Professors, freedom to hear is essential. Huh. It's in Article 19 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Interesting. Um, well, so, um, so how do you see this overlapping with him? So why right. do you think Elon Musk would make such a point to call that out? Is this another way to kind of like surreptitiously yeah. remove this as a way to chip away at free speech? I mean, how do you look at this? I'm, I'm you know, again, I'm, I'm not inside his head or who's ever had decided on it. But I, I think that what I'm articulating and, and uh, th that article also links to a you know, uh, an interview that I did with the former head of the ACLU, hmm. Nadine Stornson. I did an interview with her, and I'm sure you've made this argument. Um, um, no, 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 not there. <laughs> that's that's the ACLU page. Oh, here it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that was the first thing that I did on my Substack, um, where uh, basically talking about the collusion between. Um, uh, big tech and big government you know you've heard it a million times and now you're hearing it from both sides um uh, so-called both sides that that you know uh, a a private company can't uh, can't violate the first amendment because they're a private company and they're not the government uh well i i think that's kind of a rotten notion in and of itself but what uh, what uh, nadine highlighted um was that there is also legal um precedent regarding collusion between the government uh, or, or coercion between the government and a um, and a media outlet and she highlighted a case um, somewhere in New England I'm sorry this is a year ago so I don't remember the mm -hmm. details but basically a bookstore was um, uh, putting a book in its window um, and uh, the government the local government didn't like that and started slapping all kinds of frivolous fines against the bookstore for, you know, what, what, whatever minor uh, alleged, um, you know, violations they had. Um, and eventually the, the bookstore, the, there was a legal case that said, you can't do that. You can't try to coerce a private entity in terms of speak. And, and I think at some point the, the bookstore actually did remove the book to you know sort of say get off my back already right um so that got at the concept of coercion and collusion between uh you know the the, the outlet or in this case big tech and the government so i think between those two concepts the notion of collusion between the two entities and the concept of the right to hear i i, I think we you know, that that might give some kind of legal edifice to really challenging what big tech is trying to do. When I sign up to receive your tweets, 
I should expect to receive your tweets without them shadow manning you, without them right. playing games with you, without them suspending you, without all, all of the, the, these these obstacles. See, that, 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 that's, that's actually a really important differentiation right there that people need to think about. Like, so, so the concept that he, he floated about freedom of speech versus freedom to hear, where you know, you'll be suppressed for hate speech, which, by the way, overlaps with what was happening before. But the interesting part that it's not necessarily just reducing your visibility to people that don't know of you, but specifically those that have signed you know, what would be arguably a digital contract to say, I want to see Sam's tweets. And then right. they manipulate that relationship. That's a very different thing than just suppressing you from a Twitter platform for perspective i find that to be i mean what you just described is perfectly there's a legal case to be made about this right now i argue without yeah. you know but this right. is where it gets to where the government is playing the role in sight of this today as well where and not even just with twitter but the general concept now that words are violence free speech risks people's lives and i think that's the way to bridge over this from their perspective to go well who cares about the rights and amendments it's about safety right and that's where i think they're trying to go with this Correct. And I think that the two ways that the establishment has tried to target that is one target has been uh, Palestinian activists and yes. supporters in terms of BDS and the pernicious role that the ADL um, is playing and has played over the years uh, on such matters. Uh, the ADL itself, uh, you know, cooperated throughout the Cold War with things like uh, the National Endowment for Democracy mm -hmm. uh, and so on. Um, and, uh, the other thing is, you know, smearing anti-vaxxers and, uh, so on over the last two years, especially, um, mm -hmm. with how, how that's gone. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I similarly view the, the, the sort of competing visions of apartheid state, you know, that like, you know, there's a pro Palestine, you know, apartheid against Palestinians that's being advocated largely by the right, but not exclusively. Mm -hmm. um, and then, then, then there, there was even figures like Noam Chomsky and so on, effectively an a, 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 a apartheid system uh, regarding uh, vaccination status. And I think yep. that those, those are both incredibly, you know, uh, negative. Yeah. Well, and the overlap there is impossible to miss. I mean, it's so incredibly important to see how I mean, I think part of this is because of the clumsy nature of the last so many different agendas or just, you know, the media perspective of it is that things like the discussion around the Palestinian plight have the, over the window and that it's been destroyed over the last so many years. I mean, I jokingly say this often now that and it's facetiously, but the idea that like a few years ago. Every single person there was a terrorist and Palestine never existed. And now we're at a point where it's like, that's cartoonishly stupid. And think how fast that happened. People like us have known this because we care to look into the information. You know, that's something you're actively involved in. But it's interesting to see. And I think that now we're at a point where they recognize the narrative for whatever reason has they've really lost control of it. So I think this might be an effort to uh, to forcefully drive people back into these positions and solidify the same problem from a different angle. Right. And so this kind of brings me to your recent one of your recent posts, and then we'll get into the, what just happened to you. Uh, and this is what it's discussing. This tweet is unavailable. Musk escalates shadow banning, right? So we can, if you'd like, we can get into some of the other examples of like the most current censorship, but I really just want to main, mo mostly focus on what's happening to you. I'll whether or not we get into it for those watching, I'll be talking about this on my show about the censorship that is happening in regard to corporate journalists. I'm sure we'll bring it up in this discussion, but sure. it says, while, while some accounts are being brought back, Musk Twitter is escalating shadow banning for at least sam's account specifically and i do believe it's happening to us as well um so we can read through this if you'd like you make a bunch of well, great examples but or i could just show it and we could look at what's happening yeah well, why don't you just show it because i i haven't seen i mean i'm sure that your shadow band i mean your, your your account was outright suspended your main account right oh well yes i mean i'm talking about my current seventh right. a private account <laughs> right, right, right right and yeah. and i think i was in your boat before in terms of being undermined uh, but yeah, go, go, why don't you go ahead and show, you know, show this. Okay. So he, and what I think is interesting about this is, you know, you guys watching, you've seen my accounts have similar things. In fact, I was even pointing this out about a bunch of different weird things happening over the last so many weeks where things would show up unavailable or the videos would be playing even though you closed it. So there's a lot of weirdness happening there, but I've never seen it like this where it was consistent. Mm. You guys saw on the show, for example, where I would refresh and then all of a sudden it would pop up. But check this out. Sam posted this. Uh, as of the 14th and for my next trick I'm going to make this tweet disappear if you reply to this tweet and then click on your reply this tweet will be labeled this tweet is unavailable now you can just look through the tweets I mean here's Dave DeCamp from anti-war showing you exactly what he just saw right and it's all throughout this now I'll just do it live just to show you I did actually write test but I'll just do it again 
which by the way, doesn't seem to be there, which is what you pointed out before, by the way, that you're supposed to be able to see your replies right away, but I'll, I'll let that go for now. <laughs> right. My reply seems gone. Yeah, all there's sudden. lots of levels to this insidiousness. Yep. Right. Okay. Oops. I already said that. Well, isn't that interesting? I don't seem to see it. I'll just type something different. Test two. Okay. So here's test two scrolling up and look at that. Like, you know, we're doing this live on the show, guys. I mean, I've right. never seen this consistent in my life. Now, I, I had a video, but we don't even need to play it since I just showed it to you live. So you want to comment on this? Yeah. I, I mean, this was this happened, you know, uh, a little while ago. A couple of people who, you know, were followers on Twitter, you know, pointed this out to me. And, um, you know, I, I, I was kind of flabbergasted by it. Um, I had never seen it like this and I'd never seen it or if I had it was you know and 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 Twitter what they claim is that you know you get this message if somebody protects their tweets or deleted mm -hmm. their tweet or um uh you know whatever other mumbo jumbo reasons they have none of those apply to me I'm obviously not protecting my tweets um um so um it, it it's simply a way or largely a way of making my account virtually unusable. Um, right. the, the, the other, there's lots of other levels of it. If you go to my threads, they fall apart. The, the, right. You, you, you don't, you don't see a full thread. Um, uh, you, I mean, pinned on top of my page was my thread on the 2014 Ebola outbreak, which I connect to the current pandemic. I, spent a lot of time um, researching that um, it, it's nonsensical on my account. Now, if I reply to tweets, um, uh, it's not there. Um, it, it doesn't show up when I reply to people. Um, yeah. Look at that. Um, yeah. You know, that, that was a thread of, you know, maybe 25 and it was my pinned tweet. Hmm. Um, so it, it, it just, you know, in total, these things. And also when you search, I don't know if your account is like this too. If you search on it, if I search, you know, if, if I take something from one of my tweets and I search on it on Twitter, it comes up for me. But if somebody else searches on it, it doesn't right. come up. Right. I or know. if you use like a private browser, for example, I've seen the same thing where it's you're being shown something very different than what other people are seeing. Now, yeah. somebody else also pointed out that if you go and look at the justification underneath, if you look at the details, it suggests the things you were saying. Oh, well, they blocked it because of this. The, they're being suspended. And the point is, none of those are applying to you at all. Yeah. In what, whatever their logical justification is, none of it's applying to your account. So and you could, people out there could argue this is a glitch. Anything's possible, but it's it, it's impossible, in my opinion, to look at it that way when it's very clearly targeted and specifically only your account. And then you can see other examples of this happening. Right. So I, well, I, I'll wait to get into that until you wanted to flesh this out. If you want to go into other parts of how your account's being manipulated, I'm sure there's more than just that from your perspective. Yeah, right. Th th there are. They, they can get quite subtle. The, the main things are my replies don't show up. Mm -hmm. um, my, uh, you know, I mean, I assume that my tweets are being severely undermined still, if not more so. Um, and um, uh, uh, the, the thing that we showed, the thing that we showed, um, and you can't search on it, uh, and, and the threads are all gone. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. the, all of those things taken in total, you know, you know, I can't, I can't reply to people right now. <laughs> right. And, and, and if I quote tweet people, they don't see it. Um, so if I want to communicate with somebody, I, I direct message them. Um, and so far that seems to be working, although I, I don't know that it works all the time. So it's, it's, you know, it's difficult to, to tell. Yeah. And, and I think that's the biggest issue here is that, you know, you don't really know. And then that gets used to make it sound as if you're guessing, right? And the truth is there is a lot of guessing applied to this because we don't really know the full picture, but what right. we're pointing out is undeniable. There's no guesswork involved with the suppression of this account. That's very right. clear. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I mean, this is a hypothesis on my part, but I, I think part of it is, you know, if they just suspended my account, then, you know, uh, they, they don't want to draw attention to me. Mm -hmm. So they just make my account as unusable as possible. Right? Yeah. You know, um, so and, 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 and there's no justification. I mean, there's no justification for suspending a lot of people that have been suspended. Right. But, you know. You know, I, I just laid out what I think is a um, a very serious critique of what 
Musk is doing that's very different than what the liberals and progressives are saying. And I'm not doing these things that he just, you know, you know, suspended a bunch of establishment people for, for his, you know, real time plane tracking allegedly and doxing people and all of that, which, you know, I think the general public could see that, oh, there's some justification for that. Right. Right, You 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 don't want to, you know, do something that might actually endanger somebody's safety. So in a way, the whole doxing thing, I think is a perfect foil for Musk. It, 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 It lets him break ground of being able to suspend people, even mainstream people uh, with, you know, some justification. And it just, you know, highlights all the hype between the establishment, the rest of the establishment and Musk as a renegade against it. Right. And here, and that's, and see, that's the crux of the point here is it that we should be asking whether that is by design to create him as this anti establishment hero, you know, right. and, and, and like it's amazing to me that people are so quick to jump on the next savior that's put in front of them, seeing how many of them are openly saying that they feel they got tricked by Trump, you know, and so now we're seeing this kind of just shuffling people into the next thing. And I get it, people want to win. I, I understand that, right? They, but it's they definitely want somebody to come in and save the day, and right. I understand it. But it's 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 probably not going to happen. It's not going to be a billionaire. It's going to have to be us. It's right. going to have and to be doing a shitload of work. Excuse my I, French. I would argue though that, and I look, I, we always question everything. That's always the absolute. But look, I, I'm I'm keeping my. I'm hoping that we're wrong. Right. I am hoping, as I'm thinking, anybody honest would like, I hope that we're wrong and that he comes in and proves that he's trying. But the evidence does not seem to be going in the right direction here. And at the very least, it's completely undefined. Going back to that earlier point, I mean, the Twitter files, you know, there's some interesting stuff on there. I would argue that I think that that most a lot of it we kind of mostly knew and could even prove, but that it's still screenshots and 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 text being filtered through the lens of these people even if they're being honest there's no way you can perceive that as being on the level of what we used to argue journalistic tenets of integrity were or comparing it to something like wikileaks i mean that's insulting to me you know but yet a lot of people are taking that bait and yet the uh, and i'll t- you want to comment on that yeah no i mean so far it's i think it's been very minimal and selective in terms of what mm-hmm. they've put out um and and it has facilitated this narrative that it's right-wing voices that I think Trump, uh, that Musk himself, wow, I've, I've really adopted this, <laughs> that, that Musk himself articulates, uh, you know, in claiming that that it's, it's, it's you know, right-wingers and the left, uh, you know, has been not, not scorched by this. Um, and well, and that's part sort of a redefinition know. of what the left means. Um, yes. Yeah. I'm, um, uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think I think it's highly functional. Yeah, I was just going to add that, you know, we could point out that, I mean, I think it's obvious that there's a slant to this. I, I even from my perspective, it seems more slanted towards the right in this moment. But that's the the game over the long, a long, you know, they want you to see it that way. But it's it, but so it, it's self-serving to selectively and only point out certain people when, as you pointed out, and many everybody can. There's a lot of anti-establishment, specifically two party paradigm resistors that aren't being brought back. And then there's a lot of doctors that, you know, that still should be. But they're selectively like it seems like people are like, what about Dr. Peter McCall and Dr. Malone? And then he goes, OK, there you go. Are you good now? It's like, well, but, yeah. how, you know, they, he's like going through like, doling these out one by one. And I just it doesn't feel honest to me. And I want to point out that we have people like Liberty Lockdown, Clint Russell, who's, you know, engaging with this. It seems honestly and saying, look, you know, please, I'm still being shadow banned, you know, instead mm-hmm. of go- jumping on the game and saying, yay, Elon, save free speech. He's, you know, and that's not popular right now. Even people that support him are kind of like, well, we want the win like we were talking about. Here's Ben Collins pointing out that Twitter just banned the account of Andrew Lawrence. Now, these are people that I would happily point out, specifically media matters, that I don't think are trustworthy at all. But that still does not mean they should be censored. So this comes to the point where we're watching people that they want to cheer. You know, we I think I think a lot of us would agree that some of these people are inherently dishonest with the way they work. But don't I, as from my point about absolute free speech, then you have to allow, allow them to spin their lies. I mean, that's the point. So let's talk about the people that were just censored. And how this is playing a factor in all this and how it's revealing, you know, the hypocrisy of seemingly all of them. Um, if you I could play. Why don't we start with this? Because this is really interesting. If you guys the evolution of this to be, quickly break it down, if you, and you can elaborate if you'd like, is essentially that Twitter, journalists were censored from seemingly all walks at CNN, New York Times. And it's all around this conversation about, oh, and specifically Mastodon, oops, the company lost their Twitter account. I don't know why that's staying like that. 
any case, Mastodon got lost their Twitter account because they shared the Elon Jet discussion. Now, look, I guess I should flesh it out now since we're going into it. <laughs> but the point is, essentially, Elon Musk had a his account on Twitter that was tracking Elon Musk's jet and the where it went. Now, he re- originally spoke up and said he would not be censoring that because free speech. Then it, then it got censored. Then the claim was because he's doxing and tracking my family, which, by the way, is disputable. And that's where this comes to the point where now it's becoming, as you pointed out, doxing versus, you know, safety, which seemingly undermines the point of the right and what they were saying before. It's very interesting. But so now it happened. And now so what we're having is this discussion about whether they should come back. But I think it's really important to ask the original question about whether this even happened to begin with. Here it is. And I'll play this clip for you guys. And then we could talk about it. Now, this is a meeting on what the Twitter spaces, which I don't know if you guys are using that or not, but it's like a little group where people can connect and have conversations on Twitter. And Elon Musk stepped into it. And it's a bunch of journalists in here and basically got called out for the fact that these journalists that he removed did not, they claim, share his personal information. So let's take a listen to this. Then we can talk about it. In the last few hours with a a handful of journalists uh, being banned. Uh, Yeah. um, Well, as I'm sure everyone who's been doxing uh, would agree, you know, uh, showing real-time uh, information about somebody's location is uh, inappropriate, and I think everyone on this call would not like that to be done put to them. And and there's not going to be any distinction in the future between journalists, so-called journalists, and, and regular people. Everyone's going to be treated the same. They're not special because you're a journalist. You're, you're just, you're, you're a Twitter, you're just your citizen. Um, so... Uh, no special treatment. Um, you dox, you dox, you get suspended. End of story. Um, so, and 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 and, want, and, and, you, and, and ban you... evasion, ban evasion, or like, or, or trying to be clever about it. Like, oh, I posted a link to the real time information. It's obviously uh, that is obviously simply trying to evade the, the, the meaning. That is, there's no different from than paste than actually showing real time information. Um, so uh, when you're saying posting a link to it, I mean, the, some of the people like Drew and, and Ryan Mack uh, from The New York Times who were, were banned were, were, you know, they were reporting on it in the course of sort of pretty normal journalistic endeavors. Um, you consider that like a tricky attempt at ban evasion? You show the link to the real time information, ban evasion, obviously. I, I Drew, I don't think you were posting the real time information right i mean you're, you're suggesting that we're sharing your uh address which is not not true um and you're suggesting that we're we're it posting we never uh, i i never posted your address you posted a link to the address we posted a link we in in the re- course of reporting about elon jet we posted links to elon jet which are now not online um, and now banned on on Twitter. And and Twitter also, of course, marks even the Instagram and Mastodon accounts of Elon Jet as as harmful using, you know, we have to admit, acknowledge using the same exact link blocking technique that you have criticized as part of the Hunter Biden New York Post story in 2020. So what is different here and there? It's, It's no more acceptable for me, for you than it is for me. Same thing. So anyway, uh, so it's unacceptable what you're doing. No, what you, you, you docs, you get suspended and the story. That's it. Elon, I have to ask. I mean, I think what everyone's wondering is it, it's highly unusual for journalists at The Washington Post and The New York Times to be have their Twitter accounts suspended. And it just so happens that it's, you know, the, the, the boss in charge, you know. Uh, so, you know, what's the deal there? Oh, I think. I think Elon has uh, has left. And that's the, the just they, they go on for a couple of more seconds, you know, but it's interesting, isn't it? There's a lot to unpack in there about. I, I love the last part of it. And I look, I'm going to be the first one to relish in the the partly enjoyable reality that these people that were moments ago ignoring the entire concept of censorship are now screaming that they just got censored unprecedentedly. It is hilarious, but we should still point out that it's wrong and it's censorship. I mean, that's, it's people, it's not popular, but we have to maintain that line. What What's your thoughts? Yeah, uh, I, I would maintain the line. I, you know, again, they, they've, they provided a very good straw man for Musk because he just 
can keep coming back to you were linking to somebody that was doxing me, even though he's being hypocritical because he said that he wouldn't go after the account. Mm-hmm. So massive hypocrisies on both sides, yet they get to, you know, dominate the discussion. Um, uh, a couple of things did strike me beyond the obvious, uh, though. Um, um, he said, um, yeah, th- there's no distinction between journalists and regular people. Um, now, I think that's very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I was recently at a panel on WikiLeaks, and that point, you know, you suddenly found the New York Times and the other one-time collaborators with WikiLeaks, um, you know, finally speak up on in defense of WikiLeaks and against the prosecution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are a number of reasons why they might have done that, speculation. Um, but one thing that was driven home was that there's really no legal distinction under the First Amendment between official journalists. Right. You know, like that, that woman was saying, you know, it's unprecedented to go after New York Times and Washington Post. Yeah, okay. Well, so, you know, big tech can go after all the riffraff, but you right, right. You, 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 are immune from this. Um, uh, so there's no distinction between what is and isn't a journalist. What, the, the discussion, you know, is Assange a journalist is legally ultimately irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the First Amendment applies to all citizens. Right. Um, so, um, and then you can get into the discussion about Elon, about uh, Assange's status as a non-U.S. citizen, but mm-hmm. leaving that to, to the side for a moment. So I, I think between those two things, you, you know, the, the the establishment media, the, these prestige outlets, um, I, I regard as being part of the establishment in many respects. So oh, you don't ex- you don't expect them to put up an actual fight. Mm. Um, but the the fact that they know that they ultimately are targetable, um, whether it's by suspension or by legal edict. Uh, as um, Assange is, has been the target of, mm-hmm. uh, ultimately, I think, solidifies their status as not, you know, ones to put up a fight in any meaningful way as to the dictates of the establishment of the empire, whatever you want to call it. Um, so, um, and I also wonder what what the ramifications of this real-time information will be for war reporting um that 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 is what what are we going to see i mean you know it's been so hard um you know it was so hard during the syria war to get you know verifiable information um out and now in the ukraine war it's been very difficult to get verifiable information out um and you could see you know uh you know better technological solutions for those issues um, but I don't think that big tech is interested in genuine solutions to those issues. Right. Uh, they're going to use it as another method of control and manipulation. So I think that that's an additional challenge. And I think that what's going on here might, you know, it, you could easily see, you know, if somebody, you know, undermines the narrative in real time. I mean, we, we just, you know, we, we just saw this instance of uh, a bunch of pro-Ukrainian government outlets, you know, claiming that um, Russia had bombed um, Poland mm-hmm. and they were trying to trigger Article 5, which they misconstrue as implying that NATO should therefore um, directly enter the conflict and had to attack Russia. And mm-hmm. they, they, they were these cluster of <laughs> accounts used, you know, they got, you know, disinformation into the AP apparently or somehow. And, you know, could have, um, you know, triggered World War Three, right? Um, so you could see situations where there's, you know, fighting on the ground, and some chunk of disinformation go comes out there, and then somebody on the ground tries to, you know, debunk the disinformation, and then you know they can say, oh no, you're you're threatening the lives of the troops, blah blah blah, right, right. you're out. And then you silence a critical voice at a critical time. So and, and the had, whole game is very... Mm-hmm. 
I was going to say, and have, had the voices like the, those challenging the narrative around Poland, which was very quickly shown to be complete fabrication that, you know, they, they, they lied about the story that they if that hadn't have happened, we might very well be in that situation right now. You know, and so your point is they're not really concerned about the truth being fleshed out. They're just being concerned about the narrative being challenged. Right. Because, you know, if the, the, the problem there only comes from the fact that the corporate media is at a point now where they're not willing to challenge what they're being fed. Very Correct. clearly. I mean, that went like wildfire across every left, right paradigm platform out there Completely. within the, an hour. It was Completely. very clear. Completely. Yeah. yeah. It was insane. I, I call I, I coined it essentially that it exposed the propaganda pipeline where they very quickly all towed the line and just didn't expect Biden to come out and be like, it's not true or however that worked out. It was very, very telling. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But I think to the to the point about the the jet, which, you know, there's big questions to be asked there. Right. I mean, one. And look, just so it's clear. The the owner of the platform and even looking at the Mastodon version, which is still there, it appears to be publicly available information that's just simply being collected in one location. And yet and, and yet that's being framed as doxing his family because of some like tag along data about somebody with a car that pulled out in front of his house or whatever that story was. And I'm not disputing that. The point is, we don't know. But the point know. it comes down to this account and whether they have a right to do what they're doing. And I think they do in free speech discussion or otherwise. But the point is, was there real time information about his family that was included in this account? And then was real-time information on that account, at whether it was, was or not, then ties back to these journalists simply posting a link to the other accounts and whether that then goes along with that. Then the secondary question is, does posting that link in the context of journalism apply? You know, And see, I, on the other side of this, you can see thousands of examples of this being censored on the other side of this, right? So it's, to your larger point hypocritical for people on one side of this to not point out that elon's now just doing the exact same thing but through his lens and it seems the only difference is he gets to decide independently which seems a far bit worse to me right yeah yeah totally and you know it's you know in in a sense he's solidifying and this is another similarity of trump with Mm -hmm. trump he's sort of solidifying what the problems were always there Right. I mean, like, you know, the the U.S. would, um, you know, in part uh, fuel wars in order to, um, uh, uh, you know, have have weapon sales for military contractors. When Trump, you know, they would do that, but they wouldn't say it. Uh, when Trump came in, he was like all bragging about how many weapons we're selling to the Saudis. And isn't this great? And I'm doing my job, man. Uh, and you know, you 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 know, in a way, you kind of like the crassness of it because it's sort of like okay. <laughs> At least it's honest, right? Like uh, honest. honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, in a way, Musk is sort of being the same way. He's he's outright saying you're you don't have freedom of reach. You know, you, we're we're, we're and he doesn't use the word shadow ban, but we're we're gonna we're gonna undermine you if we don't like your message. Um, and he's claiming that, that, uh, we're going to tell you why, but he hasn't done that. So, he, you know, like Trump, it could be a series of promises where, you know, he, he, he comes in saying, I'm a free amendment absolutist, the same way Trump came in and said, I'm, I'm, I'm an America firster. Mm-hmm. And then Trump delivers Pompeo and Bolton <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and does things that no conventional president could do. Uh, getting, you know, the establishment wanted to get rid of the Iran deal. The establishment wanted to get rid of arms, the intermediate uh, range missile uh, treaty. The establishment wanted to move the uh, U.S. embassy to Jerusalem. Mm. But no conventional president could do any of those things. Trump right. did. Trump was a great servant of the establishment in being able to do things that the establishment wanted to do that no conventional president could. And I suspect that now Musk in his own brash, pseudo-charismatic, I guess, way, is doing the same kind of thing by normalizing shadow banning, by, you know, laying down the law. You can't do this. And just right. being outright and brazen about it rather than contrived and behind the scenes the way, you know, Trump, uh, Twitter uh, was before his takeover. Yeah, and that's a really important point to really to see clearly here. That, that, that Again, whether or not they know, I tend to think they do are aware to some degree it's it's those positions that the, as I, the reason I use that in the title today, the great digital divider, because Trump was called the great divider. Right. So this seems like the next step to this. And ultimately that they need the Trump or the Elon in these positions 
to allow things that otherwise would have never happened. And so now, like, the, the things are pointing out that we have Elon stepping in in the face of, which seems completely controlled to me, media coming over the top and saying, hate speech is through the roof, even though that does align with the agenda of hate speech equals violence. And then he comes back and says, no, no, we've censored it everywhere. Didn't say censors, but... And then the right comes in and goes, yeah, look, see, you're wrong. So now you've effectively created the right defending censorship of hate speech. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an... I don't know if you know what the right word would be. It's, it's amazing to watch how quickly that can happen. I make the analogy of Guantanamo Bay, where before Trump, it was just this stain on a reputation from every possible angle. Right. And then one day later, it's a... That's a great analogy. Yeah, that's a great crazy. analogy. That's an excellent it's, analogy. It's amazing. It's yeah. the, the way that how quickly this can happen in the minds of these people. Now, just again, the point being that at the end of the day, we have to watch how these players can be used, whether they know it or not, to drive in what was always the plan. I think this overlaps with the Great Reset and everything else. This is going in the direction it's going. And right. I, it's go ahead. Yeah. Uh, two, two things. What well, one, I think you're right. It's hard to know exactly what's going through their brains. And, and part of it, again, could be. Um, you know, uh, you know, a, a blackmail aspect of things uh, that yeah. is the establishment could have stuff on Trump and Musk and probably does. And it's yeah, certainly yeah. financial dependencies, at least, if not something more brazen. Um, and um, I, I was trying to look up. I, I don't remember the name of the polling outfit, but um, uh, there was one of these periodic. It might have been Pew it just put out a poll that talked about how the American public views um the threat that i don't think they use the word fascism uh but but that that, that this is a you know like 85 percent of the u.s public thinks that this is a threat but half of it thinks it's coming from one side and half of it thinks it's coming from the other side that's hilarious uh, yeah um and, and i and i think that's true i i, I mean i think that there that we are in a situation of sort of dueling fascisms uh, right. You know, where you can see it coming from the so-called left, the so-called progressive, so-called liberals, especially around pandemic related issues um, and uh, from the right and the more brazen Trump authoritarian tendencies. Um, uh, but I, I think that what the establishment and what both of these fascisms most want to prevent is people being in dialogue. Yeah. That, that 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 that's their nightmare. That's it's their nightmare that you have some rogue elements in Congress from the left and the right teaming up against the corporate state. It's their nightmare that you have people from the left and right standing up for civil liberties. It's their nightmare that you have regular people try to engage politics in a way that will actually help them and the broader country and the broader world. Um, they, they want everybody to be screaming at each other, incapable of hearing each other, and the establishment center gets to cut their deals so that you have McConnell and Schumer deciding what our future is. Right. Um, and that's, that's the nightmare. That, 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 that's our dystopian um, uh, nightmare. Yeah, I mean, I think this really, it's, it's exactly where we started. I mean, it's so very clearly, it's so easy to see how, if it's the bread and circuses, if they keep us all on the edges and the peripheral yelling at each other, I mean, exactly what you just described. I mean, if you look at that poll itself, what does that poll really show us? It shows us that we all see the problem. We just don't know where to point. And so we end up pointing at ourselves and it's, it's infuriating, but I, I, to, to, I mean, we can end on a positive note here. I genuinely think that most people to one degree or another, somewhere in their minds are like pretty skeptical right now, even of this stuff. We saw it with the, the bivalent booster. We saw it with Ukraine. I mean, these things collapse faster than I've ever seen a narrative collapse. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't people like maybe we I think it's bigger than it is. I could admit that because of what, you know, our circles and our discussion points. But I genuinely think from a hopeful point that most people see this. And I just wonder whether it's going to be pushed further in the wrong direction by some catastrophic event, which is usually how this goes, whether organic or not, or used, or that we will push this back and that will drive some other agenda to pop up. But I want to see that people can see through this. And I'm, I'm questioning whether or not the entire perspective that we get, the corporate media, the social media is so, so completely controlled and manipulated that we will never see that. Like, so no matter what happens, we're always going to be left thinking, are we there yet? Have we gotten there? Does everybody see this? So just let's start taking action as if people see it. That's how I look at it. Maybe wishful thinking. I don't know. What do you think about that? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's the struggle, that we want that to happen and manifest itself. But the, the establishment has so many tools at their disposal. Um, you know, I mean, we still have the AUMFs in play. Right. We, 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 we you know, another pandemic could be right around the corner. Uh, everybody is still in this fear state and fear is the mind killer. Right. <laughs> um, you know, they have so many tools at their disposal and they fundamentally control our met- most of our methods of communication. Um, uh, and, you know, the, the, the pandemic, as was, you know, the, the town square, uh, such as it was, has been further obliterated mm-hmm. uh, because of the pandemic. So um, they have so many levels of control. They, they have the capacity for complete distraction uh, in to the extent that the media system exists meaningfully at all um, so that it's just layer upon layer of distraction. So you never get to an accountability of any previous scandal. So I think the public senses where it is, but you know, will that manifest itself? Will, 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 will that create the cohesion to create either um, the, the, the networks or institutions or whatever necessary to, you know, get information out and for, you know, meaningful political and social change. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and I think that that's, it's not, I guess, the wrong direction. I, I often point out that I think voting in general is, is not the solution. Now, as, as much as I still argue, you think it's important. I, I respect that. I, I, you know, I, I can totally get where, <laughs> where right. that's a logical conclusion. But, and, and if, but if, you know, you go to the lower levels, the local stuff, I do think an influence can be made. And But I just simply, my point in saying that is simply that that doesn't mean we shouldn't be trying to take political action, whether that's voting or just raising awareness. You know, that to, to your end point there, it's just, it's important that we continue to fight for this, even if it becomes this, even if it is insurmountable. I mean, we, change is happening right in front of us. I'm watching things change in ways I've never thought, you know, pessimistically never thought possible. But I just think it's important. What are you are you thinking about that there? I'm, I'm sorry, say it again. What 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 you, you seem to be indicating that there's positive change. What are you thinking of there? I, I, I just mean simply old, that people are beginning to question things they've never questioned before. And, mm-hmm. and that is the beginning point where we can, you know, the point I was making before that until we can get other people to realize that we have more momentum here than people realize, because there's a lot of people in the middle grouping, I argue, that are still tapped into the corporate perception. They see it, too. They wonder why only 14 percent took this boost or they wonder why people are questioning that. And so they're questioning it, but they're convinced that they're a small minority of free thinkers. So they stay quiet when their neighbors speak up. They say the wrong thing because they don't want to be cast out. Right. That's how I see yeah. this going. So and that was that was the rise of fascism. I mean, the, the people who wrote about fascism coined the term the spiral of silence. Right. That's meaning how the, how Nazis were able to rise to power. It was the spiral of silence. Everybody else was intimidated into not speaking out. And everybody was like at home thinking, you know, God, I'm the only person who thinks this. I must be a nut job. How interesting. Uh, so, that's, exactly, yeah, that's exactly what's yeah. happening right now. And yeah. so my point of the positive is just that, you know, we need to do more of the same at first, right? Like, but we, but expand out and reach out to people that you may not have thought. I argue that you're not alone out there, that your neighbor probably thinks similar things and you may not realize. So we need to rally that momentum first and get other people to see that we do see it together before. I mean, it's, it's the classic idea that the first step in solving any problem is acknowledging that there is one. And I don't even think we've gotten there yet, or at least we haven't acknowledged that we all do see it together. Right. So outside of that, there's a lot of positive steps that we could take. But these are my personal opinions. And I think it's really just about getting people to come to their own conclusions about what they can change in their lives and so on. You know, I'm not trying to be the new savior. Right. Nobody needs a savior out there. You need to save yourself. That's kind of where I feel this is going. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I I think people need tools and ideas. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I love it if people, you know, I've been thinking, you know, having yard signs that you can write different things on. You know, if that can be a movement where people are actually saying what they think in the public square, mm-hmm. uh, at least, you know, people who have yards, uh, I guess that's a limitation, um, it, you know, um, but, you know, finding tools and mechanisms for information dispersal, given that it's so controlled and so narrow casted yeah, on, yeah. on online, you know, you know, media has become completely sectarian. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there are all these obstacles, but I think that there are a series of possible solutions if, if people, you know, organize and are brave and don't get, you know, completely attacked when they are brave and so on. 
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, to not use the same old tired analogy, reach across the aisle, but even though there's not two sides, like, you know, bridge the gaps between people that think differently than you, you know, and I think that's where this needs to begin, because I have all the faith in the world that people out there are smarter than than we're they're being framed by the media and so on. And it's just about realizing that there are more possibilities than what you're being presented with. It's not the lesser of two evils, right? It's about doing the what you suggested and finding new paths and thinking outside the box. So thank you so much for joining me today. I think this I think this will help kind of open people's minds to at the very least that it's not as simple as he's the devil or he saved free speech, right? There's something more in between there. And that's where most of the reality tends to reside is somewhere in the middle ground. And so question these people, please, because I am hopeful that if we all stand up together, that we can actually make something positive happen. So thank you. Anything you want to leave us with today in, in new uh, upcoming projects, work you have coming out? Oh, uh, well, I've done a lot of stuff on pandemic origins. Um, I just had a large piece on um, the 2014 Ebola outbreak. Um, and I'm actually going to interview one of my sources, Cherno Ba, who's a journalist uh, from Sierra Leone, who did a lot of on-the-ground reporting of it. Nice. Um, it's connected to a lot of people, uh, scientists and government officials who claimed at the beginning of this pandemic um, that it couldn't have any um that couldn't have any kind of lab origin uh some of them are implicated in the 2014 outbreak interesting um so um uh take a look at my substack for articles on that it's just husseini.substack.com um my back writing is just at husseini.org um which gets into thank you uh which um gets into um uh, you know, I, I mean, I started on the, the pandemic origins thing in February of 20, um, 2020. Um, and um, yeah, and, and I have lots of other pieces in the works, um, uh, you know, on, on you know, uh, not just pandemic issues, but also uh, free speech, uh, politics and so on. Uh, so yeah, I, I do hope people will take a look and it, it's been kind of fun. I've never done an interview this time of day and I didn't realize, so I've been like moving with the sun. I, I hope, <laughs> that's been, but you know, I, I, you know, I, I kind of like being attuned with nature, however, it may right. well, vitamin D bonus. So it works out. <laughs> well, thank you for being here, man. I really enjoyed the conversation and uh, we, you know what, let's connect afterwards. I'd love to get you back on for a COVID-19 focused discussion. Cause I know you're doing great work there as well. So it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much, Ryan. And as always, everybody out there, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.